0: Hey, Dr. Mike here. Are you interested in living forever-ish? Well, then you got to know what's in and what's not. Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to Live Forever-ish, a show dedicated to helping you live just a little longer. Here's your host, Dr. Mike and Dr. Crystal Gosser. All right. Welcome to Live Forever-ish. So today, Dr. Crystal and I are going to talk about one of our favorite topics, what's in and what's out uh, for living forever-ish. You know, Adding strong, vibrant, energetic years to your life. It's not just about living longer. Um, it's really about living better, right? And the at the end, Dr. Crystal, wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yeah. So we got some things you want to do and some things you don't want to do <laughs> if you want to accomplish that, right? And the first one, I, I gotta tell you, I don't think we've ever really talked about this as a topic by itself. We've talked about this a lot in conjunction with other things, like. I think stress-related episodes and and stuff. So, in number one, this is what you want to do is practice mindfulness. I really like that. When I was younger, Dr. Crystal, I was, you know, I was a conventional person. When people talk about mindfulness, I was like, oh, whatever, that's just Eastern philosophy, voodoo, whatever. But as I've gotten older, I completely appreciate mindfulness. And what I also would add to that is kind of grounding yourself in the moment right? Um, tell us tell us um, what we've learned about mindfulness.
1: Well, what we now know is that it's an effective treatment for anxiety. And so we felt it was important to share this study. It was published in November of 2022. And what's unique about the study is they compared mindfulness, based stress reduction. And we'll get into what that, you know, what, what that consisted of, what the, what the exact process was for that particular intervention, but it was compared to a common medication for anxiety. Oh,
0: nice. Nice. Uh,
1: So that's kind of a nice thing. Now, the, the researchers, they, I oftentimes you wonder, why do you make the title of the study or what you're looking for or or what you're evaluating in the study so complicated. So they use this word. Their question is, Mm -hmm. is mindfulness-based stress reduction (laughs) non-inferior to this medication? And so it's like, what are you trying to say? Can you just say that it's it's not worse than basically yeah. <laughs> the same. Yeah. They really weren't trying to evaluate if it's better. They just want to say is it inferior yeah. or not?
0: Yeah, you know it's it's simply a matter of methodology, Doctor Crystal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, to set up a study where you want to claim superiority. Uh, the number of people, what they call the n. Like the number of people yeah. in the trial has to reach a certain certain level. You have to have a certain number of people, and it's a lot of people to be really able to have confidence that your result is better than the standard treatment. So it's they've they've purposely made a superiority test very difficult against a standard or gold standard treatment.
1: Yeah. So in this study, it was. Um... It's Catalopram, which is an SSRI, uh, It's sold under the brand name of Lexapro. People oh, are kind of yeah. familiar with
0: that I've, brand yeah, name. I've written lots of Lexapro scripts.
1: <laughs> right, so it uh, it helps to keep keep serotonin, which is our feel good, our happy neurotransmitter, around longer, so that it can and do its job to help us to feel good, and and so it's used for depression as well as anxiety. Uh, related disorders. So in this study, it's a it was a randomized clinical trial of 276 adults with anxiety disorders. Uh, there was an eight week treatment with mindfulness based stress reduction, and of course they were comparing it to the medication. And so what we what the researchers found is that the mindfulness based stress reduction was well tolerated. Uh, with comparable effectiveness to a first line medication for patients with anxiety disorders. And it's important because when you really think about something that is, you're not putting a a foreign prescription, which may have side effects, uh, into your body, this is something that can help people with anxiety and probably help them with just, overall life in general, help them yeah, to have better sure. relationships with their families. Yeah. And when you see that it's working, just it's, it's just as effective. Now maybe we can get insurance companies on board to cover <laughs> yeah. mindfulness-based, you know, these lifestyle yeah. uh Treatment options.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a good study. Again, you know, it'd be nice to see a few more, but we we've all, but there are there are other trials looking at mindfulness and grounding therapy. I know in panic disorder, for instance. So I think there's enough evidence now. I think you're right, Doctor Crystal, that this should be covered. Um, even if you're a conventional psychiatrist and you still you just can't help write that support prescription, you should at least add a second thing in mindfulness therapy. How about how right. about do du- both? You know, and maybe they get off the drug faster, or maybe you could cut the dose down. That's integrative medicine, and I don't understand why more clinicians don't get on board with that. It's a little frustrating,
1: right? And, and maybe they think that the typical person just wants to take a pill because the mindfulness it means that you have to take time out of your day. Uh, in this studies, the participants they had eight weeks of weekly mindfulness based stress reduction courses. Uh, so it wasn't just, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't just something I take my pill in and I'm done for the day. Um, yeah, these courses true. were offered weekly for eight weeks, uh, two and a half hour in-person classes. There was a day long retreat weekend class <laughs> during the fifth or sixth week and 45 minute daily home practice exercises. So then you say, okay. <laughs> But
0: that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. So the first thing I, the, my first comment to that is, well, that's be, you know, people want to do just a pill because conventional medicine has trained them to want just a pill, right? Let's, right. we're a part of that problem. Number one, number two, um, you're still talking about people who didn't take a medicine. They were, they were just, they were u- using. Uh, mindfulness techniques to lower anxiety. They didn't have to worry about side effects. And you're talking about even probably an overall improvement of well being and lifestyle where a pill is not going to do for you.
1: That's right. So, so I think it's a powerful study. Hopefully yeah. we'll see more.
0: Well, let's move on to uh, in number two. Again, this is what you want to be doing. Uh, mindfulness was number one. Number two is um, omega 3s. Now, We've talked about omega-3 uh, intake through supplements, fish for, uh, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many shows we've mentioned omega-3s, right? And we should, right? right? They're so important. Inflammation, antioxidants, um, all just linked to cardiovascular health, brain health. It goes on and on and on. Um, but in this specific case, um, this is about depression, right? Omega-3s and depression. I'm really kind of excited to see what we found here because- I've been a big proponent of omega-3s for anybody, especially if you have a mood disorder.
1: Right. And so the question here that the researchers, again, this was published in January of 2023. So it's another hot off the press study published in the Journal of Neuropsychopharmacology. Um, And they wanted to identify what is it about the omega-3s that can help with depression. Because we know, we already have the research showing that it can improve symptoms of depression. Um, And they wanted to kind of get down to, all right, first of all, we know omega-3s, how they target inflammation and and how they resolve the inflammatory process is through the production of SPMs. We've talked about SPMs, these uh, pro-resolving mediators uh, specialized pro-resolving mediators and what they do, you know, when you have an inflammatory response, they come in and they kind of resolve that inflammation. You know, it it helps you to not have the chronic inflammation. They clean up,
0: right? right? It's a balance. You need inflammation, but then you got to call back the inflammation. And that's what these mediators ultimately help to do. Right.
1: Right. They restore the balance by decreasing pro-inflammatory mediators, Uh, as well as increasing compounds that have anti-inflammatory effects. So the researchers wanted to see, you know, is it the SPMs, are the omega-3s increasing these resolving, pro-resolving mediators, and really what is the best dose to have that effect? And and so that was kind of the background for them uh, or what they wanted to observe in this study.
0: Yeah, it looks like what I so four arms to the study, right? There was a, a placebo group, and then different doses of the um, of the omega threes, right? One gram, two grams, four grams. I know where you fall in there. You'd be in the four gram a day, right? Or do you oh, do you do I'm more sure. than that now? Or four four grams? No, more? I'm
1: right at four. I, I cut back, um, and now that I don't have the knee issue I was dealing with, oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, so right. I, yeah. I cut back. Back down to yeah. I'm at, to the, the, I'm at the
0: two grams a day, and I know you don't think that's enough. No, but
1: you <laughs> eat fish, right, Doctor Mike? You I, every every fish. week I have
0: two to three servings. I mean, two two seven days a week. I'd say about three of those I eat fish for dinner.
1: Okay, well, good. So yes, it was a 12 week study, um, and before at the beginning of the study and the end of the study, they measured depression scores, plasma levels of omega three fatty acids. We love a study where they actually oh, measure. The fatty acids you know to see did the plasma levels increase they measured the pro-resolving mediators which means are these omega-3 fats converting into pro-resolving mediators sometimes you know people don't convert them that well uh and then they they measured markers of inflammation
0: I think let's stop for a moment and talk about how important it is to actually measure omega-3s here, right? And the reason I want to do that, because this is what conventional researchers will often do, have a bias against supplementation, right? Number one, they're just doing surveys most of the time. They survey people and ask are you taking omega 3 fish oil supplements right they're just they're just asking number 1 uh, which is not reliable then they don't do anything to check baseline levels blood levels and they simply just pool well these people said they were taking it these people said they weren't when we pull it all together it turns out there's no effect
1: right you know? oh.
0: yeah or or sometimes there's danger i mean whatever Although, but right. the thing is there's no objective data in those kinds of analyses, right? Here is objective numbers. We're looking at omegas. We're looking at res- uh, mediators. We're looking at markers. I mean, this is this is a good design.
1: Right, and, and so when you look at the results, uh, the participants who responded to the omega-3 supplementation in the form of EPA, one thing we saw was those participants we're able to make more of the pro-resolving mediators. And then we saw the increase in the pro-resolving mediator uh, was associated with significant reductions in CRP yeah. and depression scores.
0: Very nice. And we
1: yeah. do know that inflammation and depression tend to pair, they go right along each other, you know, yeah. they hand and, in hand.
0: And it makes sense. If, if the mediator is up, Um, and it's slowing down inflammation, calling back the inflammatory response. It would then make sense that markers of inflammation drop.
1: Right. And so I think the takeaway message with, with depression, rates of depression soaring in America, let's pause and think about what are you eating? Are you getting your omega threes? Are you dealing with chronic inflammation? and target that inflammation as a strategy to help to manage the depression.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, for a target of the amount of omega-3s to get every day, um, you're you're right. I do two grams of supplementation. I probably get more than that because of the fish I eat. So I probably am, you know, at the end of the week, I'm probably pretty close to what you're doing, four grams a day. Because you don't eat a lot of fish, right? Is that what you had told me? I I eat a
1: couple. Yeah, a a couple servings. I have to be intentional with making sure, you know, I I tell my husband, we haven't had any fish this week. We need some fish. (laughs) (laughs) And it's usually the weekends is where, okay, Saturday or Sunday, we'll go to the fish market and, and find some fresh fish. We're yeah, lucky right here in Florida, Dr. Mike, we can get it fresh off the boat. Places.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, so, you know, you went another great study showing, and, and again, it's just so simple, right? I mean, here you have mindfulness helping with anxiety. So simple. Here you have omega-3 con- consumption helping with depression, simple things, natural, good for you. Um, no side effects, uh, and 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 good results. Let's go to in number three. So that's mindfulness and omega threes. Those are the first two. In number three, this is what you want to do now, right? If you want to live forever-ish, and this is something um, that I think we need to talk about more. It's called NAFLD, but it's it's basically non-alcoholic liver disease, all right, or fatty liver disease. This is where not because of alcohol, but because of the foods we eat inflammation, processed stuff, the gunk, the sugar, our our livers just get engorged, right? Right. They have a hard time processing all of this. So we call it non-alcoholic fatty liver. And it turns out vitamin E, besides some lifestyle changes too, right? It'd be nice to cut out some of the sugar, but Uh vitamin E can play a good role in this, right?
1: Right. And and so this is uh, or was a meta analysis, which means that they the researchers scoured the literature to find all the studies they can find. So you do, you know, a, a search in, and usually PubMed and, and you search the literature to find all the studies with vitamin E and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And usually you have your inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria. In this particular case, nine articles were included uh, enrolling a total of 569 patients. There were 274 patients in the vitamin E group when you kind of total up all of those studies and 295 patients in the placebo group. Very nice. Uh, Eight of those studies compared the changes in ALT levels. Uh, And so, Dr. Mike, do you want to share or talk about ALT and and some of those markers, ALT,
0: AST? ALT, AST, and there's other ones that you can look at. At the end of the day, these are simply markers of of liver inflammation. And so um, the higher these go, it's telling us that there's some sort of inflammatory process going on in the liver. It could be viral related, in some cases alcohol related, Mm -hmm. but in this case... Um, Those have been ruled out. And what you're left with is the standard American diet and and the stress that we live with. Right. The liver filters everything that comes through. And so if it's a lot of processed foods, processed flours and sugars, the liver just gets engorged, causes some inflammation. And that you can measure that um, with these enzymes because they're going to increase in in your in your bloodstream. Um, i want to i want to back up for a second and and just mention too you know a meta-analysis is is a powerful tool for tool for us in the supplement industry we don't have the billions and billions and billions of dollars that the pharmaceutical companies have right where they can do all kinds of studies with thousands of a meta-analysis allows us to increase in a sense the number of subjects
1: mm-hmm. in in
0: a, in similar studies and it, it just it adds more credibility
1: yeah um, it adds er- credibility Right. It adds credibility. And, and what I like is occasionally, and we find this with the dietary supplement industry, you may have a study that says this doesn't work. And then you'll have a, a random study that says that doesn't work. And then, but sometimes we like to look at what we call the preponderance of evidence. Right, we right. like to look at in general, when you look at the studies as a whole, what is the message? that we can take away. Uh, and so that's also beneficial when you're looking at meta-analysis yeah. uh, to yeah. kind of yeah. say, okay, does this really work? And yeah. so in eight of the studies, they compared the changes in ALT. Again, on your typical lab work, you'll hear your doctor may say your liver enzymes. You know, that's that's, that's another yeah. way we, we describe these. So the ALT uh, improved, In the vitamin E group compared to placebo in eight of those studies. uh, Seven of the studies compared the change in AST, another liver enzyme, between the patients who received vitamin E and placebo. And the average reduction in AST levels was significantly greater in the patients receiving vitamin E, as well as changes in BMI. So the participants (coughs) who you know, who were supplementing with vitamin E saw improvements in their body mass index. Meaning That's good. Yeah. They lost some weight.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty good. And again, so this is 569 patients uh, enrolled over nine studies who had non-alcoholic fatty liver, correct? They had this condition. Alcohol has been ruled out. Viral issues have been ruled out. Um, They had a fatty liver. They had some increases in these enzymes. And simply adding vitamin E made it made a significant change.
1: Right. And I think Positive it's important. Change. yes, and, and it's po- um, also important to bring up that conventionally, there is no medication, there's no treatment outside of lifestyle changes for right. fatty liver. Um, so yeah. to see that along, hopefully along with lifestyle changes, right? diet changes, yeah. exercise changes, adding in some vitamin e can also help you in your efforts
0: yeah the la- it was interesting the very last thing they noted in all these studies was that um, there were no changes of what are called fibrosis scores i just want to mention that and that's not surprising because if some of these patients actually had developed areas of fibrosis or fibrotic liver that's dead liver that's just collagen now nothing helps that i mean when you when you have fibrosis there's not a thing other than liver transplants there's not a thing in conventional there's not a thing on supplement side that can turn a fibrotic scar into a healthy liver cell <laughs> that's just not going to happen. So that's that's not surprising but when you look at those um, uh, liver enzymes that these are good these are good results that really conventional medicine doesn't have much to say about right All right now those are the things you want to do living forever stronger energy, vibrant lives that's that's great stuff but there's things you don't want to do, um, and I, I, find this one interesting cause I think you and I've had some conversations about this. Um, but what you don't want to do is, is eat meals late in the day or what they call late meal times. Is that correct?
1: Correct. And so we can define that. Um, but in this study, the, the, the title is late meal times encourage weight gain. Now what's considered late? Uh, in the study, the late meal period; those individuals ate at about, uh, well, their last meal was nine p.m. So they start at one, Ooh. one p.m., five p.m., and nine p.m.
0: One, so, p- so that one p.m. That means they're they're not so they're not eating anything until lunch, basically. Is that right? What-
1: so these are the 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 probably they're they're skipping breakfast. And they're eating at at one, and then they're ending at nine. Now the early meal study period, eight meals around nine, the typical yep. time, one p.m. and five p.m. was the last meal. Right. And so they compared the two. The total amount of calories and physical activity during the two study periods was identical. Uh, the meals and physical activity was controlled, and what they found was the late eating. Those individuals were hungrier. <laughs> uh, they and you saw a decreased wake time energy expenditure, so they were burning less calories when they were awake. Yeah, yeah,
0: wow. and there was
1: altered adipose tissue gene expression favoring lipid storage which means yeah,
0: yeah. you're storing
1: more fat but this is happening at the gene- the genetic level like your right. genes are saying hey let's let's store the fat
0: it says it says something doesn't it if you if you're able to genetically alter how you are storing and burning fat it, it you're you're really changing that your overall your overall's body's body's sense of am I, is there enough food out there? And if you're able to change the genetics to say, I'm gonna store more fat, that's your body saying that that you're doing something wrong. That you shouldn't be balanced right. that way. Um, you know, even though the calorie intake was the same, they were increasing more fat, which tells me that their bodies actually, because maybe of that early time of not eating, thought there was food food supply issues. So they're storing more fat to guard against that famine in that morning time when they're not eating.
1: Well, the ultimately, what the researchers also consider is that there were changes in the circadian rhythm. Nighttime is the time for sleeping.
0: Not nine <laughs> not o'clock. In, is, I, I listen, I'm in bed by nine o'clock. I'm not eating at nine o'clock.
1: <laughs> right, so if you're following the sleep-wake cycle, right by nine o'clock, regardless, of course, Alaska may be a different situation, but regardless of where you are, nine o'clock is dark outside.
0: It's time and to go to
1: bed. So <laughs> it's time to go to bed. You should be sleeping. Yeah. Uh, so it's really eating according to uh, the 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 clock, the circadian yeah. clock, the the day and night cycle. Yeah. And if you mirror your meals <laughs> around those times, then and then. You know, you can have not, a better weight it, it, control.
0: Yeah, I think it's better for your metabolism, better for how you're managing um, um, energy, cell energy storage versus release. I mean, it's just you're just be- you're better in tune to that if if you're if you're doing the early meal stuff. So I, I think it makes perfect sense to me.
1: Yes. And it's nice to have specific times. You know, this yeah. was a controlled study. And so now we have our goal, Right. 5 pm which is not really realistic I would well, say I, six, seven
0: we can we can all agree there's ranges within this. I don't, I don't I don't think you have to be strict but the point is it's dark outside, go to bed. you shouldn't be eating at nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, you get up in the morning, lights up, you eat breakfast. you get some food. it could be you didn't have to be anything major but you get some food for your metabolism. You know, I I so I don't I think there's room to wiggle in here. Um um, so you know, use nine and one as five as maybe guidelines or something. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Right. Wow, fantastic, fantastic um in and out, what's in and what's not in for living forever-ish. Um I just love I love these shows because it gives me a lot of good ideas. Right? Don't you like that? It gives you a lot of good ideas.
1: I do. Uh, You know, I immediately incorporate most of these things.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I can tell you I'm pretty good with the Omegas already. I'm pretty good with the uh, early meal plan. Um, Need to work on mindfulness a little bit. That would be something to work on. Um, I I agree.
1: That's the one thing I was thinking. I think I'm generally mindful, but the level of what they did in that study... (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's one thing to practice some of these quick mindfulness things you see online, like a 10 second thing. I I think like almost do it like an exercise program, right? Where right. For 30 minutes, you're grounding yourself in that in that moment in various ways. Um, Dr. Crystal, thanks for uh, joining me today. Thank you for everyone listening. Uh, don't forget at liveforeverest.com, there are several more episodes you can download, like and share, comment, and of course, subscribe. When you get there, there's two things, the one-two punch. Give us your email so you join the Live Forever's family, and then you can subscribe to your favorite podcast service right there on the site. That's liveforeverish.com. I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening.